0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Wisdom of Friends podcast. Thank you for tuning in. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. This is a podcast where you get to learn more about your friends and community, their wisdom, their trials and tribulations, timeless insights and their secrets. Now, let's get into the show. Please welcome your host, Cal Aras.
1: Hello, uh, folks. Uh, Welcome to Season 9 of uh, Wisdom of Friends show. I'm your host, Cal And today I'm delighted to be introducing you to David George Brook, who's also known as That Gratitude Guy. Now, David has been a speaker, a coach, and a best-selling author for over 25 years. He also has had corporate uh, experience for over 30 years. And his published works include the Brooker's Daily Gratitude Journal. Six word lessons to embrace gratitude and number of other books on gratitude. Uh, Friends, this is a fascinating conversation given uh, the stress and the challenges that we all are facing uh, in this COVID 19 pandemic world. And uh, this conversation focuses on the power of gratitude and And how do we look at life and embrace the challenges so that we can turn it into opportunities in order to live a happy, successful, and a fulfilling life by embracing gratitude? I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. So, without further ado, let's welcome the one and only David George Brooke, also known as that gratitude guy. So good afternoon, uh, David. Welcome to Season 9 of uh, Wisdom of Friends show. I'm really excited and delighted that you took the time to be on this program. And let me start off by saying what attracted me to your message is uh, you speak about gratitude. And I believe that given the pandemic and COVID-19 situation that uh, the world is experiencing and having your message, uh, uh, you share your message with our audience is going to be something that I thought would be so beneficial And I really appreciate you taking the time and welcome to the show.
2: Yeah, thank you, Cal. Thank you so much for inviting me. And I will say the gratitude message, I've always thought it was really universal in its appeal because it's all about focusing on what you have versus what you don't have. But I think now, given COVID-19, the coronavirus, it's even maybe more so because of the stress that's putting everybody through throughout the United States and the world and so forth. So it's a message I'm very passionate about. But thank you so much again for inviting me. No, that's
1: great. And uh, one of the ways, David, we kick off our show is by asking our guests a simple yet profound question, and that is uh, what's your favorite quotation or philosophy that you live by, and how have you applied it to your life?
2: Well, I would say probably not surprising that uh, it has to do with gratitude, and it's something I've adopted. I started this speaking business and coaching all things I do around uh, gratitude journals and books I've written and so forth about seven or eight years ago. But it's called – it's the quote that I quote or use more than anything else is gratitude turns what you have into enough. And we just live in a world, again, whether it's globally or nationally, about it just seems like there's so much and maybe more so in the United States, keeping up with the Joneses. And it's a better boat, better house, bigger this, more money, you know, faster airplane, you mentioned Boeing earlier and so forth. And to me, if you focus on what you have, gratitude turns what you have into enough, it's just such a great philosophy for your mindset. And that's why I just love this gratitude mindset, but that's probably what's driven me more than anything.
1: No, that's really an excellent message and one of the things that I've always uh, believed that, you know, it's the best antidote to fear and stress and, you know, it really helps you get grounded in any kind of situation and circumstances that you might be dealing with and Mm -hmm. what I'm curious about, David, is uh, what did your parents do and how did that shape your life? In other words, where did you grow up and how would you describe your childhood Mm -hmm. and what influences uh, shaped your philosophy of life?
2: I would say that there was later on in life, a lot of death, unfortunately, kind of uh, uh, impacted me. And I grew up in Spokane, Washington. I now live in Seattle area, actually in Issaquah, and had been in Bothell for a while. You mentioned it at Bothell. You saw something about from Bothell days. But my parents were what I would consider sort of Middle class in Spokane. Then we moved to Seattle and my dad was an attorney. My mom was kind of a homemaker, did some real estate on the side. Three brothers and a sister. There was five of us. So it was really pretty typical. Probably the biggest thing I look back on is knowing that the importance of an education. And so all five of us were, you know, cajoled and encouraged and, and made sure that we got to college and got educated and that type of thing. And then later, what happened is my parents got divorced, which is, is tough for any child to go through. Certainly the five of us, I was about 16 or 17 and then later, there were just a lot of issues that came up with my mom had uh, manic depressive issues, uh, now called bipolar, suffered from a lot of depression. Uh, she ultimately, about uh, so eight or 10 years after she got that, died of cancer. Uh, my dad committed suicide, and I had other losses along the way, specifically some friends in Vietnam and car accidents and things like that, and then... When I got married, about eight or nine years into my relationship, my wife died, and so we had two sons that were four and 14 at the time, and so I think a combination of those events really set me kind of on a journey. My journey, you had mentioned Boeing with you and some of the things you've done in the aeronautical space. Mine was always retail. I worked at the university bookstore when I was in college and graduated from the U and then I worked for a clothing store, then I worked for Nordstrom for a long time. I worked for Lowe's. I was a store manager for Lowe's, a store manager for Nordstrom. So it was always kind of the retail space, but in the back of my mind, The reason gratitude became so significant is because I always – I have to find something that's going to help me through this. We all have traumas, maybe more so now than ever before because of coronavirus. But it just really gave me an opportunity to look for something. And ironically enough, when I was 19, I did a talk for a, a teacher that had me come out to another high school when I was a freshman at the U., And I think the talk was on being successful or being motivated or something like that. But I'll never forget it. I walked to my car and got in the car and put the key in the ignition. And I thought, when I grow up, I want to be a motivational speaker. And it took me 45 years to get the guts to do it, to step out and do it. Because the career gets in the way, family gets in the way and so forth. And so I was uh, the ripe old age of 63 seven years ago when I started this journey and I just turned 70. So it's like, you know what? I tell people it's never too late, you know, and just follow that dream. Even if it gets further down the path, it's okay. Don't forget about the dream. So that's what, that's what really shaped me and got me down on this sort of this journey for gratitude.
1: Now that is, uh, thank you for sharing that. And I, I'm really sorry for uh, your losses. Uh, seems Thanks. like uh, you've had, uh, Yeah, quite a few uh, loved ones uh, having lost along the way. And uh, uh, that's uh, definitely uh, my condolences to you and your family. Uh, So uh, there's a lot to uncover here. And I I have uh, quite a few questions around that. And one of the things that when I heard you share about uh, growing up and, you know, having been through the divorce early on and things of that nature. And one of the things I've noticed is early on when when children at that young, tender age, uh, experienced their first signs of trauma, if you will, and they end up choosing different uh, meaning around what that ex- event makes it, you know, what that significant event is, but it seems like you always chose a positive outlook and attitude towards life as you continued on your journey and, you know, as you com- completed your education and you you know, worked in retail, as you said, and made a successful career out of your life. So what, what would you say was the difference for you, particularly as a child, that made you make those choices uh, versus somebody else in a similar situation could have made different sort of choices?
2: I think it's a combination. You always hear about nature versus nurture. And I think the, the DNA, I point to my temples and whether it's Cal or David, I'm talking about you and I were blessed to get the DNA from our parents, our mother and father. And then we had this mass called our brain, and it's this big, powerful unit, central processing unit up here. Then I was told to educate it. And so I, I feel very blessed. I started out with a good hard drive, and it was just naturally from my parents. And then the software is the education and the way you you know, uh, educate yourself and fill in the, the blanks, if you will. So when I say nature versus nurture, I think about I already had a pretty positive attitude. Unfortunately, my father, I'm one of the more positive people you're going to meet, always focusing on gratitude and on what you have versus what you don't have and so forth. And yet my father was one of the most negative people I've ever met. I, to this day, I still can't get over. I'd say good morning. In the morning, he'd go, what's good about it? And and I just thought, wow, what a what a way to talk to one of your five children and have them have them uh, react that way. So I thought, I don't care, I'm not going to go down that negative road. So I noticed that the divorce. I was 16 to about 18 or 19. Uh, potentially, because I'm just a glass half full guy, and I, I think we all have a choice. I tell people gratitude is a choice. Happiness is a choice. The, the things you want to do in your life, don't give me this. You don't understand stuff. It's a choice. You can make it and follow a certain path if you want it bad enough. But I think that for for me, I realized in an early age And it's another kind of a quote that I've heard, but I love it. If it is to be, it's up to me. And it really made me realize, like, for instance, going through college, they wanted us to go through college, which was great. Well, my father paid for the first quarter of my college. Actually, I beg your pardon, it's the first year. But he made me feel so bad that I took a check he gave me for the start of the second year and tore it up and threw it down on the ground. I said, you'll never pay for another cent again because he was saying, I'm I'm having a tough time paying for your college. I can't even eat because we have to have macaroni and cheese because the the college is so expensive at the University of Washington. I'll never forget that. I was 19, and I I ripped up the check, and I, I just tossed it on the floor. I said, you'll never pay for another dime. So it really taught me independence You know, and you got to pedal your own bike and somebody can be the training wheels, but most of the pedaling has got to be done from you. And so really out of that gray cloud was really a silver lining of of taking charge of your own life and making it. You can make whatever you want. And Cal, as far as why some people and not other ones, that may be one of the biggest mysteries of life, because I'm so fascinated when you and I were talking earlier and mentioned all these things you do. You know, and you got your hands and also, a lot of balls you're juggling, a lot of things an author and keynote speaker and working at all, and all these different things, the podcast. And then there's some people that can't even hold the job down being a paper route, having the paper. And, and so why is that? Why are some people so motivated and some not? So that's why I love the nature versus nurture, because I do think it's pieces of both. I just don't think I would be sitting here talking to Cal on May 14th, 2020, if I was born in Harlem and had no mother or father and was on a sidewalk somewhere. I just think the combination of how you came into this earth and then how you kind of took it from there, the combination of those two really determines who you end up being
1: no i totally agree with that messaging Uh, absolutely nature versus nurture and one of the philosophies that are trends i've always seen is it's the environment also that makes such a big difference the people you surround yourself with or you're blessed to be surrounded with early on in your life you know because if uh, their beliefs their values and their standards can rub off on you either in a positive or a negative way and uh, but again, at the end of it, you always have a choice and take personal yes. responsibility for it. And it seems like you did that and, uh, created a beautiful career for your life. Now, one of the things I also want to go back to, uh, in your earlier share there with, uh, having wanting to pursue the career of a professional speaker, um, mm-hmm. at the age of 19, that was an inclination that, uh, you know, very few, few of us have that inclination, right? It's just something that, we know we are meant to be and meant to do, and that's the calling, that's the message that we need to be pursuing. And uh, you eventually did. For some, it takes a long time to do it. Some jump on it instantaneously. But you did it, and that's really a testament to your commitment to living the highest potential of your Mm, life and your career. So, uh, And this is one of the questions we often get on our Uh, from our audience is, you know, how do people go about finding their calling, if you will? And secondly, you know, even if they know what their calling is, let's say they they get glimpses of it along the way, and what could they do to kind of bridge that current reality and responsibilities that they have to uh, take care of at the same time pursuing, pursuing their dream and call? You know. Right. So. right.
2: Well, I think it's interesting because I think that was at 19. That's what I wanted to do. And I don't know why it hit me when I sat in that car and turned that ignition. I thought... I want to be a motivational speaker someday. So I was 19, I was 1969. Again, took me over 40 years to get there. But I think that doesn't even surprise me as much as people I've met that knew at five years old, they wanted to be a doctor and now they're a doctor. So sometimes I think it's almost a divine type of thing. But I've told people it's a good question because why is it that some people have such a clear picture from a young age and other ones uh, are scattered around and try out different things and so forth? So I think one of the things that's new, regardless of your age, which is such a great thing to do is this, this life goes by very fast. I just turned 70, as I mentioned, it seems like I was just back in high school and that was already 50 years ago. And so it flies by. So why not do something you enjoy? And so then, well, how do I go? You found out you wanted to be a speaker, Dave. I mean, you knew that in 1969. I understand that. But it took me all that time to get there while I finally followed it and and kind of stopped. I had to tell my, my younger son had to say, are you going to finally be a speaker someday on one of our pivotal conversations? We had when I was managing the Lowe's, and I quit, and I told him I was going to become a speaker uh, about seven or eight years ago. And I, but I'll tell people: do some. You mentioned how does a person find that? Do some tests. Take some. Um, Think about if you had it, if you open your now we have computers, you open your laptop every day and every morning in your checking account was a million dollars. You couldn't possibly spend it. Tomorrow will be another million. So what would you do? You have a bank account that has a hundred million dollars in it. You couldn't possibly spend it. What would you do? And and there's this this type of thing that one of the modules that I talk about in my talks is find yourself. Find your passion, find your purpose. You have to have a great relationship with yourself, and there's ways to get that. And then if you figure out what your passion is, that's maybe what, what you want it to be when you were growing up, but then ask yourself those questions, the million-dollar questions and so forth, and then you'll probably find your purpose. And I think, in my opinion... I think everybody wants to, at some point, find their purpose while they're on this earth. I think some people struggle with that more than others. But I think back to kind of the nature and nurture, I just was fortunate that I got that in my brain at 19 and it never went away. And I I kind of looked literally in the mirror and go, are you going to finally do this someday? What kind of message are you leaving for your two sons? They were four and 14 when Dana passed away, my wife. They're now 26 and 36, and I remember telling Connor, I guess I better I better do what I said I was going to do. I've got to be a good dad. I've got to set a good example. So I think and, – and I think one of the things too I tell people, this is why anybody that's in your audience or anybody that might be thinking about, gosh, am I really doing what I want to do? The thing that's so powerful is it doesn't matter when the timing is. I was 63. And I tell people, my heroes are Colonel Sanders, who started at 63, J.C. Penney, 58, Ray Crock with McDonald's, 54, Mary Kay Ash, 57. These are all these people that started these phenomenal careers. So I was 63. And people, so you're going to be a speaker? You're going to be a speaker? What is that? Oh, look, I wanted to since I was 19 years old. So sometimes it takes a long time. So I always hope that I'm somebody who encourages somebody who hasn't found it yet. That there aren't going to be many people that wait later than I do. So no matter how long it takes, how long it takes you, think about what you wanted to be when you grew up. Think about those things. Man, I want to be a fireman. I want to be a policeman. I want to be. Think about some of those things, and then you got off into a career you didn't really care for, but the money was good. And get it back to What were the things that'll be that'll make me happy that I would do even if I didn't get paid for? Get it paid, get a salary or get a wage. Those are things that can really help you find maybe what's really in your heart.
1: No, I like that. I really, uh, and I think uh, you definitely have uh, given us a blueprint for having done this at the ripe age, young age at, of 63. Mm-hmm. No, that's really great. And uh, I like the philosophy of like the self, finding yourself and being. Uh, Comfortable with who you are, and you know what your values are, and then moving on to what are you passionate about, and then right. bridging that with the purpose. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, so what would you say is the distinction between a passion and a purpose in your view? What's the difference uh, in your in your philosophy or in your paradigm of a passion versus a purpose?
2: Sure, I would say passion at least because that's kind of phase two of those three phases. Is something that you just enjoy doing. And again, I love litmus tests on things. And so the litmus test would be you, you would do it without even getting paid. You can't wait up, can't wait to get to bed so you can get up tomorrow to do the job again and so forth. And I think that's what you really find that you get such value out of. The best thing I can say to describe my passion is that at least. Two or three times a week, somebody tells me I changed their life. Your videos, your talks, your books, your gratitude journals, your online courses, whatever it might be. Coaching, I do a lot of coaching. You change my life. You transform it. That's, you can't put a price on that. It's totally priceless. So I think that's finding what you just really like to do. And I think your purpose, now this is, again, just me, but I look at the differences is purpose is what I was put on this earth to do. And, and I look at it, when you were mentioning, Cal, the YouTube thing, I've got a thousand, over a thousand videos, and I've got a thousand some odd subscribers, and I've done all these videos, and a lot of content, and books, and things like that. It's to just sort of explain to people in as many different modes as I can what gratitude can do for you, and so it, it's just thrilling to me to know that I get to make this difference, and I look at What's driven me, and I always think this in some ways sounds a little self-serving, but I really mean it. I just want people to know I was here on this planet. And and the exact – somebody as is, is, uh, experienced as you are, or certainly somebody is on that left side, on the right side to me is the tomb of the unknown soldier. Are you kidding me? Here was a young man or woman that came here on this earth and fought in the war. They don't even know who it is, and they're buried. Nobody even knows who it is. How sad is that? So if it's Cal Harris or David Brook or whatever, I want to know, did you ever hear Cal's podcast? Did you ever see one of David's talks? I mean, that just fires me up. And and to know that somebody, when somebody says you've changed their life. I am just not sure if there's a better compliment that you can get or you try or something. Here's another one I love. And you think about this and the different things you've done. When somebody starts a sentence with Cal, I'll never forget when you told me you were the first person to ever. You're the only guy that ever took the time to explain to me how, you know, and when you hear a sentence like that, you know, there's good stuff coming. You know, (laughs) and how does that make you feel? Because it's just so thrilling to know you've impacted the trajectory of somebody else's life.
1: No, that's that's really uh, great and uh, inspirational, Dave. And thank you for sharing that. And and so You're my back. next question to you is, uh, when you look back at your life, you know, we've all had these moments of clarity. We've all had these moments when the, the path or the choice that we make with our career, with our profession, it kind of gives us the validation back. And, you know, that mm-hmm. that is that moment when life is never the same again moment. It's like... This is for real. This can happen. It's no longer a figment of my imagination. And what I want to lead to this is, you know, you've identified your passion. You identify your calling. But now you got to do a test drive in the marketplace to see you're not imagining things in your head. And it's something that can absolutely gain you some traction. So when was that moment for you that you were, okay, I want to be a professional speaker. So let me go try this out. And when did you know that? this thing could really work and this thing I could continue doing it uh, for the rest of my life. Was there a moment for you?
2: That's actually two answers to that question, Cal. December 26, 2013, I was managing the Lowe store at Mount Vernon. 70 million annual revenue, 250 employees, took me about 45 minutes to get up there and really enjoyed running those big box stores like Nordstrom. So. It hit me on December 27th, two days after Christmas in 2013. I quit Lowe's, and I said, you've been thinking about this for all these years since you were 19. I came home. Connor, who was five or uh, four, excuse me, when Dana died, was now 17. He's sitting on the couch, and he goes, what are you doing home? And I said, um, I quit. And you quit Lowe's? And I went, Yeah. And, and he's sitting down, he's looking up at me and, and just sort of slouched down on the couch. And he goes, you quit being a store manager? I go, yeah. And he goes, well, what are you going to do now? I said, well, I'm going to be a speaker. And he looks up from the couch and he goes, well, that's just super dad. <laughs> and I, I didn't know how to react. And he said, I have a question for you. What are we going to do for food And so so that's when it started. And I said, it was, of course, kind of comical, but I said, Connor, I've been talking about this my whole life. You've heard me say that. So that's how it finally happened. I said, I can't keep living this life where I'm managing these stores, making the amount of money I was making, getting the discounts, all the stuff, getting the flying around in corporate jets, whether it's Nordstrom or Lowe's or whatever. And I finally thought, you have to follow your dream. To the second part of the question, which I think is almost more powerful when did you make the decision to do it than actually doing it but honestly cal I would tell you it was I'm about 7 years into this now it was probably 5 or 6 years into this about a year year and a half ago I thought it was a good idea the first 5 years were brutal all my friends are very well off. They're all my buddies. They all have multimillion dollar houses. They have big jobs making what are you doing? You're gonna be a speaker? What are you doing? Oh, and you live with your friend, because I have to save money and do all put all this into YouTube and then the all sorts of equipment and classes and webinars and training and so forth. But I I just never got away from my passion back to passion and purpose, leading to my purpose. I think I was put here to be a speaker. I'm a pretty good speaker. I don't think I'm as good as a lot of people, but I know how to get a message out there. And I tell people, it's not my speak. oh, Dave, you're such a good speaker. It's the message of gratitude. I'm merely the microphone for it. I'm merely the mouthpiece. And if I can say it and, and convey enthusiasm and energy, and I do a lot of exercises and things in my talks to show people how it viscerally impacts them and not just, I don't know, you even use PowerPoint, not just PowerPoint slide, PowerPoint slide, and I get really into it. I'm fresh off a talk today, so it's, of course, on my mind. But I just felt that was what I was there to do, but gosh, those five years and the biggest enemy as you're not surprised to hear this during that five years is the guy you see shaving in the morning it's like what are you doing why did you leave that job what kind of fairy tale thing is this you're doing but now <laughs> six or seven years into it i will tell you i can say pretty confidently cal it's looking like a pretty good idea but nice. it, it was tough going through that
1: Congratulations. No, that's great. And it is. it can be being an entrepreneur or being a speaker or a solopreneur, if you will. I mean, it can be a lonely journey at times and can be quite challenging. And if the circumstances around you, especially with the economy and the business is not favoring you, then it can be even more of a, a... climbing a mountain if you will so I think uh, uh, it's amazing that you've been resilient and and continued with the pur- pursuit of your purpose and passion so
0: yeah thank the you. Er-
1: yeah the other question I want to ask you is uh, what were one or two biggest challenges that you faced in your life and what I mean by that is uh, <clears throat> what's your favorite failure and uh, the, the, the reason the reason for asking this question is sometimes in that moment it Seems like the the sky's falling and the world's you know ending and it's like this could not get any worse and it in that moment it could be true, but no. or, but when you look back and you say that that was the best thing that happened to me because it helped me rebuild my life or Mm -hmm. you know when you when you look back at it in hindsight it's it's some of the best blessing in disguise if you will so was there a big challenge like that in your life or well
2: i would say when you think of failure cal it's such that's such a good word because you really talk about what we learned from it so i would break it down into personal and professional because there's there's one big on each side And even though failure might not describe it, but it's in terms of bouncing back from it, the biggest one was the day Dana died september ninth 1998 it was a Tuesday and it's just it's seared in my mind I mean all these other things that happened to me my mom had died, my dad had died and friends and other things had happened and there had been other tragedies and traumas and things to overcome. but here it is my 39 year old wife Connor is four Kyle's 14. we find her in the floor in the basement and she's dead of a prescription pill overdose and the medics came in and tried to revive her and everything and 39 year old moms do not die. And the reason why it was so impactful more than anything else, and and maybe not what I would classify as a failure, but such a turning point is because of something that happened to me within two days of that, within Within a day or so as I thought about it, and it's it's not a bad dream, it's not a nightmare, it's actually happening, and having had my mom die and dad die and these other people and knowing that, but nothing like this, the mother of my children, my wife I'm going to spend the rest of my life with, and I remember something so powerful. I walked up on the deck. We live by Green Lake in Seattle. I walked up on the deck by myself about two days later. And I just sat there and I just stared out at the sky. And I must have been there for, I don't know, 20 minutes just staring. And really, for the first time in my life, I totally understood why people commit suicide. Because I thought, this is just too much. I've, I've been, I'm just a, you know, and I kind of pinched myself. I'm just a flesh and blood human being. And, and it was interesting because... Finally, I saw that, but at the same time, within that same time or 10 or 15 minutes I stood there, I also made a pact with myself, I would never commit suicide under any circumstances. I got two young boys who have just lost their mother, they're four and 14 as I mentioned, What are you going to do now? You're going to go jump off a bridge somewhere and leave them with no parents at all. So it was it was finding strength. And this is really even before I kind of understood the power of gratitude because that came around the same time. But understanding out of the ashes comes the phoenix and you can get stronger and understand that. So that was what I would call the biggest thing I had to overcome at the very top of my list personally. And professionally was kind of related to it, too, as I had left Nordstrom and started my own business, a very successful auto detail shop doing about a half a million dollars a year, 15 guys, seven days a week and everything. As a result of Dana's death, I struggled and struggled and struggled. It went in about a year, or so I just closed. It. I couldn't do it anymore. And it was such a failure because of all the time and money that went into it to develop it and build this huge list and have all this success, I was going to franchise it and put them in different locations and so forth. But I remember the day I just walked away and I thought I can't do it anymore and I've got to do something else with my life. I, I looked at that as such a big failure. But I'm a big fan of Steve Jobs' analogy of you can connect the dots backwards. When you look back in your life, you can't look forward because you don't know the the future. But you can look back and see why things are happening. Having Dana pass away made me probably a better father than I ever would have been. I mean I think I would have been a good father. But I mean I had to play mother and father for both my sons. And then the business side of it just made me appreciate how hard it is to build something and also knowing if you build it once, you can build it again, and that kind of came to the gratitude guy. I thought it was called Every Last Detail, and I thought if you can build Every Last Detail with your bare hands from the first day when I did $7 in business, sold a can of polish to building it up to 480000 a year – in annual sales and I thought you can do it again and that really helped me with the gratitude guy and kept me going on those days when as you say solopreneur entrepreneur where you're feeling so alone and it's just you and the guy in the mirror And people can try to cheer you up, but I noticed the people that cheer you up always have the jobs to get a check every other Friday. I mean, there was a Dave hang in there, you're doing a great job. Yeah, well, easy for you to say you get a check every other Friday. I don't, you know, because I've got this (laughs) because I decided to do this. So it keeps it does encourage you and things. And so I would say those are the two that probably shape my life more than anything else, personal on the personal side and the professional side.
1: Wow, no, that's uh, that's really uh, incredible and how you. how you came uh, back from it. I mean, that's really a significant loss. And yeah. so, again, as I said, sorry for your loss there uh, with Dana and uh, again, condolences to your family. Uh, but uh, the And here's what I also am curious is that, so the next step seems to be that you stumbled upon the power of gratitude. And that is a message that you have, you know, not only uh, embraced from your bottom of your heart, but that's the message that you've been sharing with the community and with the world at large. So tell us about how did you... Uh, resonate with the power of gratitude like you, know, you could have taken on a different topic or could have done anything oh, else absolutely. but why gratitude tell us more about gratitude
2: i remember i remember having a teacher in junior high school who was a real tough teacher and i would when would have been about 13 he would have been about 28 so 15 years older I met him by chance at a clothing store I was working at years later. So we kind of became friends. And even though we're 15 years apart, uh, we just started up this friendship and went skiing together and and kind of unlikely because this was my teacher at one point. So within a year or two after Dana died, I'm talking to him one day and he's trying to be a good friend. And he says, "Uh, you're not doing very well. I said, well, you don't have to tell me that. He says, you just seem so depressed and you're down. And I I know Dana died and all this kind of thing. And he says, uh... Do you have a gratitude journal? And I said, what's a gratitude journal? He said, well, it's a journal you have every day. You write everything you're grateful for. And I went, wow. So he – and it's, it's funny, Cal, because he always tells me because I tell that story sometimes when I talk to him. Did you have a talk yesterday? Did you mention my name? I go, sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't. It depends. His name is Bob. I won't tell you his last name. That's Bob Corsetto. But anyway, so I immediately went to Amazon and ordered a gratitude journal. And that's really the pivot point where I started and I started writing every day. I am so grateful for my health. I'm grateful for the boys. I'm grateful for Cal for inviting me to the podcast, you know, and and just really focusing on those things. And then from that, I thought, wait a second. When I ended up leaving Lowe's, I want to be a speaker. I got the subject. I wanted to be a motivational speaker. That's such a cliche. What do you do? I'm a motivational speaker. I'm a keynote speaker. You and I share that. But what do you talk about? And I've met people that are speakers and they go, anything you want. And I go, well, I, I don't know if that's the wisest path. I said, you want to be a specialist in something. And so I went, okay, it's the stars are aligning. I quit the job to become a motivational speaker, wanted to do it from when I was 19, didn't know what my subject is. I've got a gratitude journal, I think. And then I remember one day I go, I'm going to be that gratitude guy. That's my name. And it's funny because these same fraternity brothers that are so successful when we were going to Starbucks and have coffee, we'll be there having coffee. This has happened a couple dozen times, and somebody will walk up to me in front of the four of us. You're the gratitude guy. I've, I've seen you <laughs> speak before. And they just go, gee, what are you, Mr. Celebrity or something? And I go, no, oh, no, no. But they, they've, I've spoken to a lot of people. I had a lot of talks. But it was really interesting because it sort of all came together, and this, the name, the gratitude, and I thought – because I always wanted my subject – I just want—I didn't know what it was going to be for all those years too, which is another reason why, as I said earlier, don't give up on knowing that it'll come to you. There are some things in your life that you say no, no, no every single day of the week, and you come to a Monday, you say no. You wake up Tuesday morning, you say yes. Well, what happened from Monday night to Tuesday? I don't know, but you made a different decision. Just believe that decision will get there for you. So it, it did come to me that way, and I've never looked back. And, and the gratitude thing and it's so as you said at the outset of the podcast it's so universal in its appeal because you're helping people with a mindset in a world that's so easy to be negative with everything that's going on
1: absolutely and i think uh, gratitude precedes happiness because one of the mm-hmm. things that uh, i talk about in my speeches is that engineering happiness for uh, organizations and for individuals but it really uh, you know, it's the gratitude being grateful is the first step towards happiness, in my opinion. And, and, and I think uh, your message resonates uh, so much with me as a result. Now, yeah, uh, I want to take a step back uh, in the memory lane here, uh, David. Then I want to ask you about who were your mentors growing up and uh, whom did you look up to and wanted to emulate and uh, what fascinated you about these people?
2: Well, I would say, at least early on, when my folks were still married, I'd say both my mom and my dad, I really, because I'm always fascinated by who motivates you, what what inspired you. My mother was extremely passionate and told me one day, you're going you're to gonna want to be a father in the biggest way. You're not going to believe what it's going to like to be a father. And she was right, but I didn't really believe her back then. My father, even though he was very negative, he was a very successful attorney, and unfortunately, as I mentioned, took his life, but he, he inspired me in something that, I don't know if you can teach, and that's work ethic. I've never seen anybody with a work ethic like him. And I'm it, it, right now on, uh, you know, May fourteenth of two thousand and twenty. I get up every day at six. I go work till seven or eight at night. Six seven days a week. It doesn't matter to me. Nobody has to tell me that. That's what it takes to be the gratitude guy. And I have to do these things and so forth. So. But my mom and dad really inspired me. Chrisetto, Bob Chrisetto, my teacher really inspired me. But I would say, at least professionally, there's a lot of people I listen to, a lot of tapes and webinars. But somebody that you've heard of, and and but it was a huge inspiration for me was Tony Robbins. I, I just that what he's done in the for in the area of human development, and I would tell people that would say, oh, that's a bunch of hooey, or or you know this how you look at your brain and and, and positive versus a negative attitude. And I would say to him, and I tell him what I learned from Tony Robbins. I'd say, I say, I offer you to challenge me. Tell me how that doesn't work, and they can't, because it makes sense. And so for him, he was always been. There's been other ones that the Mark Victor Hansen and Jack Canfield and Mark uh, and uh, Brian Tracy. There, there's a lot of those that are those those sort of upper class motivational speakers. I just really admire, and the biggest reason why I admire them is because I'm pretty certain. They're after the same thing I am, and that's to make a difference in people's lives. And it's just, as I said earlier, if you get somebody that says, Cal, you're the person that told me to take a left instead of a right, it's priceless. And so listening to those people and having them as heroes really, really shaped me, and it made me even stick with it on those days I, I wasn't feeling like it was going to work.
1: One of my favorite ways to spread the message of a mission here at Wisdom of Friends is through speaking. Over the last two years, I've delivered keynotes and workshops at professional associations, small and large companies on topics related to engineering happiness, how to boost productivity, employee engagement, and workforce stability for bottom line results, and the science of happiness and the art of fulfillment. So if you think I'll be a fit for your upcoming event and want to learn more? Visit the speaking link at wisdomoffriends.net and get in touch. Again, it's the speaking link at wisdomoffriends.net. At the end of the day, it's about making the difference, and I really like it. Uh, so, and you, uh, for the benefit of the audience, David is also an author and uh, he does keynote speeches on uh, topics related to gratitude and. Uh, Performance, peak performance, in organizations. So, mm-hmm. I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, your favorite books. Any books that you've gifted or reread over the years that you would like to recommend for the audience?
2: Yeah, that's that's good because there's a lot of different ones. I've been I've been a big fan of Malcolm Gladwell. Some of his books, his recent one I just finished was Talking to Strangers, which is really fascinating about uh, human beings and how they look on the outside and they are on the inside and so forth. An earlier book he did called Outliers uh, was really, really good. And, and then I would say just a lot of the, the ones that are around my business, I probably read more nonfiction than anything else. And a good example, I know he's pretty well known now, is Crushing It by Gary Vaynerchuk. Because it's just this whole thing of how you can – it's one thing for Cal or David to have a message. It's another thing for how it gets out there. And whether it's podcasts, whether it's social media, it's books. I did mention online classes and coaching and things and then, of course, speaking. And the interesting thing, we didn't talk a lot about this, but for me, everything that is good in the world of that gratitude guy starts with speaking. And and we we didn't mention it, but it is a significant change is what's happened is today was the fifth virtual talk I've done since this started, because we're in the I think in the eighth or ninth week since we kind of started roughly mid-March when everything kind of got shut down. And uh, each one of them has gotten better, but it's different. You know, it's different and it's understanding that you got to – I know the word pivot gets used a lot, but you've got you've to shift with it and, and make sure that you're still being relevant. So it's um, – but, but if the passion is there, how you deliver the message, you will figure out what's the best way. But I just noticed with speaking, so many good things happen that I try to get as many talks as I can, and, and all the good stuff comes out of that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's – as my, one of my friends, Ana uh, Liata, who is the current president of the National Speakers Association, right. she – uh, she uh, said it beautifully the other day was that, you know, you got to be clear on your because uh, mm-hmm. once you have the because because cleared up. I mean, you know exactly you'll figure out a way.
2: And yeah. uh, no, that's uh, absolutely by the way, I know her very well, by the way. Yeah, that's that's she great. Was, <laughs> yeah. she so, was down at the, We spent I spent a lot of time down at Columbia Tower Club and she was the past president and I'm on the board this year, vice chairman of the board, which means president year after next. But yeah, Anna's a great gal.
1: Yes, she is indeed. Uh, so any uh, favorite hobbies and interests, uh, David? What do you you know, mostly
2: I just uh, about a week ago became a grandfather, which is going to be a great hobby. And Congratulations. yeah, thank you. My older son got married a couple of years ago, Kyle, and they just had a baby, Olivia Dana, and her middle name is named after his mom and my wife. And so the hobbies are he and I do about four to five miles every week and on a walk and kind of catch up and debrief and so forth. And Kyle uh, is in Seattle and Renton and works for Microsoft, and then Connor, he's 36, and Connor is 26, and lives in San Diego, works for Pepsi, so I don't see him as often as I do Kyle, but in terms of hobbies, it's really, and this, I go back to that, find yourself, find your passion, find your purpose, it's it's interesting, I can tell you're, the, I can tell just been talking to you, Kyle, you're the same way, I don't say it to impress people, but if I put in a normal week of 50 or 60 or 70 hours on the gratitude guy, I, I do it because I love it. And and so whether it's in here we're in our condos and our homes and our, our townhouses and things and you can't really go outside so I used to go to Starbucks a lot or go do the talks and now I mean a Saturday is no different than a Monday or Tuesday I'm still working from 7 or 8 in the morning till 6 or 7 at night but it's just such a labor of love because I enjoy doing it and I'm developing new products and I just put together a new online course and I'm working on another book which is sort of semi-autobiography biographical with a kind of a ghostwriter guy and it just like you said that's why I liked you immediately when I talked to you is I just like people to have a lot of balls in the air and so to me so I don't have the traditional Hobbies. I will tell you from the past, and this is why gratitude's kind of taken the place. I learned how to fly, I had my own airplane for a long time. I flew a ton. I got a, a hydroplane and was a national champion hydroplane driver, and I raced a go-kart and was a racer champion in that. And so I did a lot of crazy things: bungee jumping, skydiving, scuba diving, hand gliding, all that kind of thing. Now it's all about gratitude. And so my main hobby <laughs> is kind of my, my main work, too, is all about <laughs> gratitude. No, that's,
1: that's amazing. And I've done some skydiving. I've had an interesting story about skydiving and that was in Sydney, Australia uh, three years ago, actually. And it was uh, all three of us, like my siblings we all mm-hmm. jumped from the same plane and that was oh, scary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We didn't, we didn't tell our parents because they would yeah, have definitely gotten in the heart attack. <laughs> that was probably
0: smart. Oh, no, so, but,
1: uh, no I, I totally, uh, you know, I've had those uh, adventurous moments as well. And I ride a motorcycle. That's part of my oh, passion nice. as well. So nice. no, that's, that's great. And, and the other question, David, for you is, and this is more of a hypothetical question, having experienced the ebb and flow of life, uh, and if you had to go back in time and now talk to your young self let's say what mm-hmm. advice would you give him at the age of 19 David what what's the advice would would you give him
2: That's a that's a great question Cal I actually use that question a lot and I say at at the 50 year high school reunion I was driving home I was 68 2 years ago And I thought, what would I like to know at 18? So I I made a list of 10 things to tell Connor and Kyle. So I typed it all up, you know, and and I won't go through all 10, but one of them was save 10% of every check you ever make. I don't care what it is, have an automatic thing that pulls it out of there. By the time you're 60, you'll have a couple million dollars in the bank. And it's if you can live on a thousand that you get for your job, you can live on 900 bucks. So do that. And that was one. And then there's other things too. But the one that I love that question and I love to hear what people say. And so it, I think it's a really good question. It tells you a lot about somebody's mindset. My answer has been the same for a long time. I just, and I don't think this is just specific to my life. I just didn't have any idea that life would be this challenging. I kind of thought it was going to be a piece of cake. Up and outside of that divorce, up to about thirty, things went pretty swimmingly for me. And good job, and I was married to a gal. I went to high school with, and had a good job, and all these learned how to fly, as I mentioned, got a plane, all that good stuff. I was never really truly prepared to take these unbelievable boulders that were tossed up in the road and so my lesson what I would tell my younger self is I love the analogy of this is your stomach when you punch somebody in the stomach if I say Cal I'm gonna punch you but you're ready for it get those stomach muscles tightened up because you know I'm gonna come at you here in a second and I could hit you and it wouldn't bother you but if I came around the corner and caught you unawares I could knock the wind out of you so my lesson to my younger self would be tighten those stomach muscles know that life and i know we're on the radio but life is like a roller coaster it's a series of ups and downs the downs are tough but that's where all the lessons are learned the heights are great and everybody wants to be there but even at the height eventually you're going to be down again so learn from the low spots really appreciate the high spots and remember when you're down you will be up again and don't give up and keep those stomach muscles tight so
1: no i like that it's uh being prepared for uh, any eventuality life throws at you, but like also knowing that you can handle it and you can rise to the occasion, uh, no matter exact. what. Exactly. No, I, I totally agree with that. I'm g- so let's switch gears here, and I want to get into the topic of gratitude and do a deep dive into it. Mm-hmm. So, one of the things that I know you uh, also do keynotes and uh, talks related to. Uh, performance and peak performance within organizations Mm -hmm. so let's uh let's talk a little bit about that because a lot of how would you bring the model of gratitude and how would that play out in a business setting uh in your experience uh how would you apply that to companies and people leading teams and more so in a leadership capacity
2: Great question. A lot of what happens with gratitude is when I mentioned that find yourself, find your passion, find your purpose. The first one is find yourself. Having managed a lot of people in my life and just in the jobs at Nordstrom, some of those stores had four or five hundred employees. Lowe's had 250 employees. So I've managed a lot of people. You can trace back 90 percent of the bad behavior to lack of self-esteem. You had somebody that was taking shots. You like Cal better than I do and, and making talking behind their back, stabbing them, any of those types of things. Mr. Brooke, you like this person better. You always come by their department. You never come by my department. I'm never getting promoted. You promote everybody else but me. I can think about all the types of people, 95 or whatever percent of that, you can trace back to lack of self-esteem. One of the biggest things that gratitude does, and I do these exercises in the talks, is really helps you to increase self-esteem. When you can get a better picture of yourself and really like who you see in that as I say, shaving, brushing your teeth or whatever, it absolutely helps people to appreciate who they are. And when you have, as an example, I do an exercise where we talk about how somebody else sees you. Other people always see you in a better light than you see yourself. And so I'll do these little three by five cards and and I'll ask people, how many people are going to hold on to that card that the other guy just said, Cal is fantastic. He's articulate. He's bright. You're a great listener, by the way. You're a great listener. All these different kinds of things. People raise their hand. You're welcome. I'm going to save that card. Everybody raises their hand. So what it really does, it starts with understanding to have a great relationship with yourself. And then it gets into really drilling down and appreciating what you have. And so there's more exercises that help us focus on what we have versus what we don't have, which is the centerpiece of gratitude. And so those combination of those exercises helps people to feel better about themselves, become better team members, appreciate their fellow employees better, better because they're Again, focusing on the positive and not the negative, and it just ends up being. This, this synergy that comes out of understanding gratitude and how it works for yourself and then therefore your teams. And that's where I say on one of the keynotes, gratitude creates peak performance because you eliminate a lot of this pettiness and a lot of the same problems that we have with people that can't get along with people because they're fearful they're going to get their job or they're going to take their job or they're going to tell on them or all these little petty things that come up. So it's really had a nice application to the business world.
1: Absolutely. And I think uh, what you're also referring to is uh, – improving employee engagement and that leads to workforce stability which as a result creates more pro- productivity and efficiency and mm-hmm. that has a significant impact on the bottom line results for any companies no and much. I think uh, definitely bringing on the topic of uh, gratitude and happiness and I think that's the, I think that's the intangible that uh, a lot of companies don't seem to focus on but at the same time the trend is changing now as they're yeah. realizing the 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 usual KPI metrics are no longer getting them beyond a certain point. And,
2: uh, True. True. And, and, so, and you know, Cal, I was thinking of something else I should add that I've only add, added this module recently but it's called the science of gratitude and people sleep better and they have better self-esteem and they went through all these things, they've proven that what employing an attitude of gratitude will do. Well, all those things also relate to somebody somebody who sleeps better, who gets six or seven or eight hours of sleep versus three or four is going to perform better as an employee. They're going to not be crabby. They're going to get along with people and and so forth. And it's just they've talked about lower blood pressure, better cholesterol, all these things that happen simply by focusing on what you have and being grateful. So there really is a science around it, too. No, absolutely. Uh, So one of the things
1: I want to get to is uh, kind of like do another uh, deep dive into this is about techniques and tactics that people can or actionable Uh, techniques that people can apply in their own life so Mm -hmm. would you be willing to talk about your daily morning and evening rituals that you like to perform to stay at your very peak
2: Mm -hmm. you bet and i and and again no surprise that it starts with gratitude one of the things when i talk about tools and techniques for people that take away you mentioned you and i have had a lot of experience in the speaking world somebody said once when you go to a speaker and you think they're a great speaker great but ask them tomorrow what you remember If you can't remember anything, well, then how great of a speaker was the person? And so one of the things that I give people is I say, I'm going to give you a lot of tools and things, and one of them is a gratitude journal. And I have the Brooker's Daily Gratitude Journal. It's my top-selling publication, and I have a little saying on the upper left-hand corner that says, if you think about it, it's like a dream. If you talk about it, it inspires you, but if you write about it, it empowers you. Hmm. So. Not surprising. What do you think I start with every single day? Writing in my gratitude journal without fail. It's just like brushing my teeth, shaving, all those types of things. So to me, what it's done for me is it gives me such a positive framework. And again, I know we're on the radio, but I've already got the list for tomorrow and right at the top gratitude journal and hit the computer and then I'm going to do my run and so forth and go through. So I don't go to bed until the entire day is laid out for the next day so I can sleep well. Because you don't wake up at 3 o'clock, oh, i got to call Cal. I was going to tell him I was going to be on the podcast and so forth. So you start with a gratitude journal. Something else I've asked people to do, it's going to take you five minutes to write in that gratitude journal. And I mentioned that earlier, I'm grateful for this and so forth. And whatever is on your mind. Also, if you want to sleep better, put the journal by your bed. Read what you wrote that morning. Just reread it one more time right before the head hits the pillow. You'll sleep a lot better. So it's really about establishing a routine. And when you think about, again, gratitude, helping you focus on what you have versus what you don't have, if you focus on what you have, you're going to get a lot more done because you're feeling better about things and you're knowing that you're going to help more people or whatever. And being organized is another piece of it. But there's something about that gratitude journal. That's the centerpiece of what I talk about, which just sets it in concrete and gets you really focused on that day about everything that's good in your life. And I even put in there, to the daily number which is kind of how you take your temperature and then i put a little highlight of the day so i have them write what's their highlight of the day yesterday which makes people um, uh, feel much better And one of the things that I do on the talk, as an example, and again, keeping us motivated, is I'll have somebody pick a daily number, and I'll say the daily number is from one to ten. Ten is the best day of your life. One is the worst. So I just did this this afternoon. So so I tell them it's a very private exercise. Write down your daily number, put a circle around it. Now I'm going to give you 60 seconds, write everything you're grateful for. And so then they write it all down, and I say, now, after you've read those five or ten things you wrote, put another number at the bottom. Could be the same number. It may have changed. But whatever it is, and so by show of hands or on Zoom, it's thumbs up. How many people's numbers say the same? You see a few thumbs. How many people's number went up? You see thumbs everywhere. And I go, well, now there's a 60-second example of what a five-minute gratitude journal will do for you every day. That's how much it can impact you. So it really helps with the regiment. And to me, the discipline thing is having a big enough Why? The reason I do those five miles every day is I don't want to weigh over two hundred and ten pounds. That's plenty for me. So <laughs> if I don't hit the forest, I might pump up to two hundred and twenty or two hundred and twenty-five, and that's not good. So you've heard that before from the Simon Cynics of the world. But if you have a big enough why, that can really drive you to do the certain behaviors.
1: Absolutely, I, I completely agree. And I, you know, I've had this uh, happiness practice uh, for. Uh, Almost uh, three years now, and it 's definitely oh, nice. made a, made an impact in terms of my mindset. Uh, my heart set and uh you know just just about the spiritual aspect of it as well and it it really comes down to a simple philosophy that i 've been following that happiness is my responsibility, and uh you know nobody else is responsible for my own happiness Oh, that 's
2: a great point and
1: uh, and nobody can uh, I can only uh, include other people to add to my happiness, but nobody else is responsible for my happiness yeah, and, I, and that's right. uh and 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 you know and that's that 's been a significant uh change for me as well in terms of uh how my life has gone over the last couple of years and one of the other things uh, you'd be interested to uh, hear this is that every year i take on a new challenge or a new way of being that mm. can significantly alter how i've lived my life and one of the things i've taken on is for this year is uh, embracing uncertainty in, oh, in really? a way in a way that uh uh, you know, it's it's like being more curious and being more adventurous with uncertainty instead of trying to control everything. Nice. And, and like, you know, because it's always been for me up until this point to you know exactly where I'm going, what I need to do, and just kind of like stay mission focused and all that. And I can yeah, still do that. Great. And yet that's enjoy great. the journey along the way and have the fun and the adventure
2: along the mm-hmm. way. And, um, I like that. I like
1: and, that. And uh, yeah, with a sense of curiosity and awe and joy and... And, and knowing that uh, you'll be taken care of eventually. Yeah,
2: that's and, good. I like that. I like that. So
1: it's a different way of being, and uh, we'll see uh, how that unfolds uh, for yeah. this year.
2: <laughs> good, good new challenge. I like yes, that.
1: Yes, absolutely. Uh, so moving on uh, to another uh, question I had, and I want to circle back to something that you mentioned earlier. You know, we talked about, building that shield around or the armor around our own mindset with the practice of gratitude and like really strengthening ourselves, tightening our stomach muscles and making sure that, you know, no matter what happens, anybody, what challenges life can throw us, throw at us, we can handle it. But we also run into situations and people specifically people around us and usually it could be family members like you gave a good example of people in your own life like your dad who has who had a different perspective about life and they just choose to see the negative aspect of how things are so what are some creative and constructive ways that you can deal with those kind of situations because i can I can uh, tell you that I, we get a lot of those uh, questions from our audience. Yes, I do want to make a difference. I do want to make a change, but I, I have my significant other, my spouse, who doesn't agree with me, and you know mm-hmm. things of that nature. So How do you deal with those kind of situations? In your opinion, in your experience?
2: I think it's some of it starts with understanding the person, and maybe what their motivation is. If I take, for instance, it doesn't get much closer than my own father. That was, you know, again the negative when I I mentioned that good morning, what's good about it? I'd say it's sunny out, and he goes, it's going to rain tomorrow. It, it just it didn't matter what it is. He could figure out something to, to have empathy around what caused him to be that way. That really helped me a lot because I started thinking, what that's not normal for somebody to be that way. So if I think back and I know his father is a very successful attorney, using him as an Example, his mother, my grandmother, was very controlling. And I thought, wow, I wonder what it would be like to grow up for them, being my parents. So I think understanding why somebody behaves some way uh, is certainly something that helps. And then I think there's other things that have helped me. This is a little more draconian, but there's just certain people I come across and I just think, you know what? I just feel sorry for them. There's probably not a lot you can do. They're hardwired to be negative, to be mean to you, to be caustic, to be sarcastic, whatever it might be. Something was missing. In that person's life or they didn't get some nurturing from a mother or a father or a coach or a parent or, or a professor or somebody along the way and I just I don't say it to them of course but privately I think to myself, I feel sorry for them. I just feel sorry for them. They can't experience the joy. One of the things I know, for instance, in my speaking, and, you're, and I would bet, Cal, you may be the same way. When I mention the 1 to 10, 10 is the best day of your life, I'm normally, when I write in that gratitude journal, as I will tomorrow morning again and as I did this morning, I'm usually a 7, 8, or a 9 when I wake up. I'm something like that. But even if I'm not having that great of a morning or that time of a day, after a talk, I'm always a 10. I'm all I was at 10 today at one thirty after after the 90 minute rotary talk and it just always fires me up and I've gotten text thank you what a great talk and things like that and so forth so but that that drives me but I understand to have empathy for people it's just It's just a better way to approach it because everybody has different journeys. We can't know what's going on in this head of theirs. And when somebody will snap at you or say something, we don't know if they have financial problems. They just got served with divorce papers today or all these different things. You just can't know that. So to have grace and to understand that and, and I think even with yourself, and I think this is one of the most helpful things that ever happened to me, and I love this word is on the days, I'm a, I can tell this talking to you too, I'm a pretty motivated person, you know, and I can get going, I can talk really fast and get really excited, and people are just going, I love this now, I, I can listen to you all day long, I always I need a dose of the Brooker, that's how I got my name, the Brooker, on my gratitude journalist, my, all these fraternity brothers, I need a dose of the Brooker, because you're Mr. Motivation and stuff, so it was there from a long time, but I think the word that I like, which is so powerful, is I think there's certain days you have to give yourself permission to not have the best day, Mm-hmm. And if somebody if somebody bothers you, don't let it bother you. you know, don't let it bother you. Just kind of it is what it is. Don't take it personally. Don't like it. And if you're not up to speed, I've talked to a few people with coronavirus as an example. I had one about two weeks. ago. Guys didn't have a good day. And I thought, you know what? Don't fight it. It's just, you know, things were back up. Things were bugging me. I'd lost a bunch of paid talks because they were going to be in person and now they're all canceled. And but I got through it. And the next day I felt better. But I like that. Give yourself permission. You're a human being and we have feelings and emotions and you just can't be have this tremendous armor built around you or this Teflon. It works, it works most of the time, but sometimes if it doesn't, allow yourself to have a bad day and just not let those people bother you and that type of thing. So I think if you really empathize with, with people in your world, it really helps to know that you don't know what's going on in their life and therefore um, it shouldn't bother you as much or at least it will bother you a lot less.
1: No, I like that. And just to recap, I think uh, what you said was having the empathy and uh, compassion for mm-hmm. individuals who may not necessarily agree or disagree with you <laughs> and mm-hmm. can always have a negative attitude. But the other thing also is to give yourself the permission to have a bad day because it cannot yes. be a robotic uh, approach to life i mean mm-hmm. so having uh, the compassion for yourself and allowing yourself to uh, you know it's like riding the wave of life if you will there going to be ups and downs and and just going with the flow and uh yeah, and I like that. That's really great. Uh, moving on to our next section here, and uh, this has been great, and I could continue talking to you for <laughs> <and laughs> the like next that. four hours here, but uh, <laughs> in the interest of time, we are going to get into this uh, next section here, which is uh, the rapid-fire round, David. And uh, So my first question for you is, uh, whose brain would you like to
2: pick? Oh, Bill Gates.
1: Hmm. What's the greatest work of art in your opinion
2: uh, a couple of portraits my mother my mother did of us five children. She was a great portrait artist, mm. and I just look at it how she made them look so much like us i'll never that 's the biggest work of art, the greatest work of art because it was so oh my gosh, and i 've got three of me and a bunch of my brothers and sisters, and I, I just oh they 're the best it's just i, I can 't believe how she could capture our essence in oil on a canvas
1: no that 's great. Uh, if you could have witnessed one event in history, what would that be?
2: Hmm. Boy, that's a good one. I would have to stop and think, and it would probably be, I don't know if it, I'd say as much as an event, but it's just the first thing that pops to my mind is more I wish I would have met this person, and that would be an event and had lunch with them, and that's John F. Kennedy.
1: Hmm. And uh, who's your favorite music band, David.
2: Uh, the Eagles, by far.
1: <laughs> I like them, too. Yes, that's great.
2: <laughs> Take It Easy is my all-time – Actually, no, actually, I beg your pardon. It's um, – uh, how can I forget um, – uh, oh, gosh, what's the name of that song? It's the, their biggest – one of their biggest songs, not Take It Easy, but it's been my all-time song. I always say, well, your all-time song is one you could listen to over and over again, and it's um, – oh, Lion Eyes. I couldn't think of it. Lion <laughs> Eyes. That's yes. my all-time favorite song from The Eagles.
1: No, that's great. Uh, Here's another one. Uh, The five most important things in life, according to you.
2: Five most important things in life is, number one, is your health, because without that, you have nothing else. Uh, Number two is your family, because whether it's your mother or father or husband or wife or children, I think is next. Uh, Number two, I think number three is back to that purpose, understanding what that purpose is. And I think after that, giving to others. And I would say number five would be, it's it's still part of the health thing too, but just taking really good care of yourself and understanding what a valuable resource you are to be on this earth.
1: No, that's great. I like that. And uh, here's another one. And this is, if you could have any message of your choice on a billboard, what would that be?
2: Mm. Well… It's going to sound a little bit uh, redundant in some ways. Gets around gratitude, but it would really be love yourself. And I think it's it's really funny, Cal, because we live in such a strange world. Little Cal, when he was growing up, little David, when he was growing up, if they said, you know, the poor boy, he has no confidence. He's over in the corner. It's just it's such a shame. He puts his head down. He can't look you in the eye. But if you say, I think I did a great job on the drawing on the chalkboard, and I think I'm the best artist in here. Oh, he's cocky. He's too conceited. He thinks he's just too good for himself. And he thinks he's a better artist than Dave or anybody else. What's up with that Cal? He's kind of cocky. You know, and I say, like, oh, my gosh, you can't win. You can't win. If it's over here, you're no good. If it's here, you're no good. But if people – the reason why I just – I see the billboard, love yourself. It's just two words. If more people love themselves, in my opinion, we wouldn't have half the problems we have in this world because of the behaviors that people act out because they don't like or understand who they are. And that's why with the gratitude thing and so focusing on what you have, it helps you to love yourself and like yourself a lot more, and I think that would cause a lot less problems.
1: I couldn't agree more. Uh, That's uh, really beautifully said. And I've got final three questions for you. And this is our final Mm -hmm. section. And the first one is, uh, what is your current personal or business passion project that you're working on? And what are you looking forward to in the next six months to a year from now? Uh,
2: Perfectly timed. Virtualizing my keynotes. So I've done four or five. My typical keynote is 60, sometimes 90 minutes. I have spoken from... 10,000 soldiers at Joint Base Lewis-McChord, 5,000 at 10 a.m. and another 5,000 at 2 p.m., all the way down to one gentleman in a nursing home where they paid me $250 and they didn't tell everybody I was coming. So one guy shows up. So I said, just sit down. I'm going to do my speech for you. (laughs) We just sat across the table. So I've done from one to 10,000. But now the virtual thing is my biggest project. And so I've done some trailers that say what my virtual talk does and how I can do it on the Zoom platform. We obviously talked about Skype and those other things. And again, I know we're on the radio, but I will tell you right offhand, I have not seen your keynote, but I can tell from your personality, when you say things that are funny or people laugh at or they nod their heads at, on Zoom, in person, they're laughing and you see them nodding their heads and they're shaking, waving to you if they know you from the audience and they're smiling and they're doing all these things. And on Zoom, we can't see this on the radio, you just see And there's no sound. It's so bizarre because they're laughing. You can see their faces, they're laughing, but there's no sound because everybody's been muted. So, the biggest project as a result of that is really making an effective keynote work just as well on the virtual space. In this case, Zoom, Skype, Meet, a lot of these other platforms, Teams from Microsoft, and things like that. That's been. Thing
1: and what uh, social media platforms do you normally use? Are you on? uh, I know you're on LinkedIn, are you on Mm -hmm. Facebook
2: and Twitter as well? Or, yeah, and my and really my big one is YouTube, okay? That's one where I've gotten because I've done so many videos and I have a nice LinkedIn presence. I do post a lot of things on Facebook, don't do much Instagram. There's a few other little small things, maybe I don't even really do Twitter that much, but YouTube, I do two to three new videos every single week, including. Monday morning minute. In fact, I might do a a shout out for a, a text to join. If anybody is interested in getting my one minute, one minute, Monday morning minute, I call it every Monday at about nine in the morning. It's a one minute video on gratitude. You just text grateful to 42828 and you can sign up. And it's one of those really cool things. You just, you just punch in 42828, ask you for the word. The message is grateful. It punches a message back to you. You put your email in and you're on the list.
1: And no, so. that's great. And then we'll include uh, all your links on our show notes as well. So people can find out more about you. And uh, Oh,
2: thank you. Thank you. Absolutely.
1: And uh, the next question is, what are three things you're grateful for in life today?
2: Well, it's I just mentioned this when you mentioned the other things too. I, I can't. I can't top any list or starting a list without being healthy because I just honestly knock on wood and I've got a wood desk here. I think I'm 70 years old. I've never really had any kind of a health. I've had a lot of traumas and things like that, but I've never really had any big health issues. And that's just through the grace of God. And that's why, as I said, I knock through, uh, knock on wood. And so health is absolutely number one. Number two are my two sons. They're the love of my life. I just am so, I look and you mentioned um, some of the things that you've done in the skydiving with your siblings and so forth and and don't tell mom and, and things. And I've done that same thing as I mentioned But it's interesting of all the skydiving and bungee jumping and scuba diving and flying, all that stuff, hydroplane racing, the number one thing I'm proudest of is being a father to two phenomenal sons. And I say that with hopefully some objectivity, but I know a lot of people whose kids are not in good shape and they're in – you know uh, overdose situations and they're living at home still they don't have a job they've got drug issues and so forth so i feel very very blessed so that's number two and then number three is sort of an extension of that that i'm most grateful for is my family and friends it's just like meeting you today in the first 30 seconds i I think i love this guy I, i just i only met him 30 seconds i just love this guy already i like his smile i like his energy and where would we be without friends and family but that's how fast we make those connections With people. There's just an energy about it. You know, there's something. So, those would be the top three things on my list.
1: That's uh, beautiful, and I really uh, appreciate you sharing that. Uh, So, I want to take a moment to acknowledge you, uh, David. Uh, You know, it it reminds me of that quotation that, you know, feeling gratitude and not expressing it is like wrapping a present and not giving it.
0: Mm -hmm. That's a great uh, point.
1: and, and, you know, one of the things that stands out with your uh, journey in life so far is that you not only find the something to be positive and something to be optimistic about life and be grateful for in life, but you are sharing it from the bottom of your heart with the people mm-hmm. in the community, be it, as you said, uh, speaking to 10,000 people or be it, uh, single individual yeah. and I'm sure you do that in a more of an informal setting as well with conversations with friends and family and helping them see the bright side of life and uh, right and you know having the impact that you've had uh, in our community is so inspiring because no, I'm sure you. people listening to this will find a newfound enthusiasm and encouragement and no, inspiration man. for life Great. so love to hear uh, that Absolutely. And so thank you for doing what you're doing. And I uh, wish you, uh, I'm looking forward to some of your other virtual trainings uh, online and uh, more success to you and continued success to you on this journey.
2: Yeah, thank you, Cal. And thank you again very much for having me. I really appreciate it.
1: Great. And one final question, and this is how we wrap up all our interviews, David. And this is uh, a simple question as why do you think people should listen to the
2: wisdom of friends? I think because in the right situations and the right friends, it can change your life. I I think that if you, I, I, I really do. I mean, they're just, we can't, that's why they call something a mastermind. When, when 10 minds get together, they can come up with something better. So you have the right kind of friend. That's a true friend. It can change your life. And so it just pays. It just is so smart. And with people that are really true friends, they want what's best for you. So chances are pretty good. They're going to give you some pretty good thoughts.
1: No, I like that. I appreciate it. Uh, And thank you again for your time and uh, amazing feedback here and uh, sharing your life story with us. I really appreciated our conversation. And for everybody listening, with that, we'll wrap it up. And if you like what you heard, please share. Don't be shy.
0: Thanks for listening to the Wisdom of Friends show with Cal Aras. If you enjoyed today's show, head over to wisdomoffriends.net to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover our fantastic bonus content. We hope you'll pass along our web address, wisdomoffriends.net, to your friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out our archive section on the website for previous episodes and subscribe on iTunes, rate and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. Thank Thank you. you. This has been a Seven Symphonies production Join us next time for another edition of the Wisdom Friends.